Our text this morning is going to be Psalm 26. Before I actually get to Psalm 26, in my week of study, I came across something uh, that I was reminded of in one of the study Bibles I was using, and I want to briefly share it with you this morning as maybe a first time or a reminder also. And that is that, broadly speaking, the Old Testament is broken down into two parts. Uh, I should say two parts, meaning how it is written. There is poetry and there is um, prose. Prose, we know, is sentences that come together into um, paragraphs. It's the way we speak. Job, which is where I was studying at the time, has chapter 42, which is an example of both of these, and it has prose at the end, but in the first six verses, we see poetry. And poetry is written different, and especially Hebrew poetry, and it's broken down in what is called strophes. And I think one of the things that confuses us about poetry is we think of English poetry where it's broken down into uh, what we see as meters or rhymes. Hebrew poetry is not that way. I would like you now to turn to our text, and I want to use uh, verses 4 and 5 as an example of poetry, not so much for, its spiritual, or for what its content is in the context of this message, but more in showing you poetry. Well, the first thing you will notice if you look at verses 4 and 5 is the little numbers there before it. Well, those weren't there by the right of themselves. Those came about about the 16th century, and they help us to understand where to turn when somebody says, look at verse 4 of Psalm 26. It's like a house number. They were at it. But in the poetry part of it, you will see that there's a a two-line break before verse 4 and a two-line break after verse 5. That designates that these scriptures... These words belong together, and they probably have the same theme or they complement each other. Sometimes, and a lot of times in uh, the book of Proverbs, you'll see where they, one line will actually uh, be an opposite of the other. But when you look at verse 4, for example, the first line is, uh, has one word out, and then the next line is in indented. What they are is saying that the first one and the second one are pretty much saying the same thing, or like I said, they are saying the opposite, and the same with verse 5. I found this again helpful when I was going through Psalm 26 to realize that the, the poet groups his thoughts together, and as we're going through, we can kind of see how that helps us understand what he's trying to say. He's kind of saying the same thing twice in two different ways to help us get the message. For my opening thoughts on Psalm 26 itself, as we read this psalm of poetry from David, it started early in my study that there was something that was unique about it, and I found it very interesting that David used the same sentence twice in this psalm. 
once in verse 1, and again at the end, almost right at the end, in verse 11. And that was that he would say, for I have walked in my integrity. In verse 11, he says, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. I remember on numerous times when I've gotten together with um, mostly men that uh, I have prayed together with, I myself would ask God that we be men of integrity. And I think integrity is one of those words that when you think about it, you, you have a concept of it, but putting it into words is kind of hard. What is integrity? In the time that God gave me this week to study, has helped me to better understand not only the word integrity, what he is saying in, in chapter, tw- uh, chapter 26, Psalm 26, but also how to better pray for integrity in the future. So if you would, please follow along as I read Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood. I do not consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling you all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. And my foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. The opening of this psalm is dialogue between David himself and his God. And his first words to him is, Vindicate me, O Lord. Vindicate means judge me. David is saying to a holy God, judge me. Really, David, you want to be judged by God? But really, if we think about it, what he's saying is, judge as to defend me. He's saying, God, you are the one that know me personally. And he offers up himself and says, look at my life, look at my heart. You're the only one that can do this. Look at who I am and defend me. Bible scholars think that this came at a time when David was probably being persecuted by Saul, who was king. Had many people saying bad things about David. Saul himself had nothing good to say about David. He was threatened by him. But they did not know him. They did not know his heart. But what David is saying to God is, you do. 
you can look inside of me and know me personally. So David was willing to stand before God, and he said, I walk in my own integrity. He is before God himself. So now we come to the word integrity. This is where me, as an individual, starts to study that I can understand Psalm 26 so that I can share it with you. I went to Mounts's Complete Expository Bible Dictionary. When we're using God's word and want to know a word, we have to use something that is going to correlate it to God's word. Dictionaries are great. Secular, secular dictionaries can give us meaning, but we want to know exactly what does God's word say about this subject, integrity. So this is what I found. Integrity, it's a noun, which means it's a name. Faithful, trustworthy, integrity. That's it. That's the explanation. Well, we know right off, you never give the same word for what you're trying to understand and give a definition of. So you can't say integrity. Well, that's integrity. That's like trying to explain to somebody, what's plastic? And you say, well, it's plastic. But it said it was faithful and trustworthy. And then there was something that really helped because at the end it says, see faithfulness. Now we're getting someplace. So I went to faithfulness. It says faithfulness occurs in the context of moral language and is used to reveal God's character, often in the language of praise. I'm going to use God's word to explain what integrity is. Often in the language of praise, Moses himself would exalt God when he would say, faithful God a faithful God who does no wrong. Deuteronomy 32.4. Think about the God that does no wrong. A God that never lies. A God that does nothing that is not just. A God that keeps his word. A God that you can trust in every detail. That's what Moses himself was saying about his faithful God. Jeremiah would say, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. He's adding to what Moses has said also. He said he's a God of love. He's merciful. And that mercy is as fresh and new as tomorrow morning. If there's going to be a tomorrow, there's going to be more of God's mercy. And complete is God's faithfulness. God's word also says that it's something that should be desired as a human characteristic. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But the righteous will live by his faithfulness. And in saying that, we have to understand that this is a closed group that will live by faithfulness. It says the righteous, those that are in a right standing before God, 
Those that God has called to himself, that has enlightened him, them to the truth of who he is, they will then act in faithfulness. If we think about that in the context of today's society, and it's ever-changing, society can change from one section of this country to another, maybe even from one town to another. This came to light to me back again when I was in the service and probably met gentlemen from every state in the Union. And I have to point a finger at those boys from California. They thought that they were always the trendsetters. Anything new that was coming out was going to come from California, and they had already seen it and done it. Well, that's what society is. It's whatever that truth or whatever is coming out at that time. And integrity can be changed or seen by that, but not God's integrity, not how he looks at it, because he is the standard of truth, and he never changes. Faithfulness also denotes truth in the sense of an accurate expression of reality, especially as it opposes falsehood. Many scriptures that point to that. Genesis chapter 42, verse 16. Deuteronomy 13, verse 14. 1 Kings 10, verse 16. Proverbs 14, verse 25. Jeremiah 9, verse 5. I chose 1 Kings 17, verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. What she is saying is, I hear what you say. I know it comes from the God that you are, that you serve, and I know that that can be true. It has to be true because your God is true. Truth always opposes falsehood. Probably the best example I can give of that, it is the best example, is Jesus Christ himself. When he was on this earth, when he came as a man on this earth, he confronted the falsehoods of what so many leaders of the Jewish people were professing as truths at that time. And he spoke the truth. And maybe this is where I should have started and said that God's, that in God's word it says that his faithful, faithfulness is an attribute of God himself. It's an attribute. It's part of character. It's who he is. It's like, God knows everything. God has no beginning, no end. God is all-powerful. God is all-present. But it's also one of those attributes that we share with God, like God is mercy. We can show mercy. God is love. We can show love. God is faithful. We can be faithful also. God is a spirit. We are spirit. It is one of the essential characteristics of God himself. 
I want you to think about when Moses was, out, was on Mount Sinai and God revealed himself to him. These are God's words to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and grace, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Exodus 34, 6. This is how God describes himself through a revelation to his servant Moses. He is God, he is Lord, he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and all of this because of his faithfulness. You know what is so great and unique about this sentence? He tells Moses this, and this is right after Israel has made the golden calf and worshipped it, turned their back on the one true God. Moses came down, down, saw them in such sin. God proclaimed judgment on those that were doing evil and has forgiven those and has brought people back to himself. He is faithful. It's why David can say, vindicate me, O Lord, or judge me to defend me. The Lord desires his people to emulate the truth of his faithfulness, his integrity. David knew that. And that's why so much of this psalm goes on to say what David would or would not do. David said that he would not associate with liars, hypocrites, evildoers, the wicked, bloodthirsty men, those who take bribes, and so on. Why? Because they are not men of God. They are not known by God. They lead people away from God. They have no moral or right standing before God. And David knew that. David was to the point in this psalm, it says, that he feared for his own soul if he would be around these evildoers. He would not do it. But I don't want us to take that those names and those type of people, individuals, and make them a religious checklist like we so, much, so many times do with things. And we condense it down and say, well, this is what I have to do to get God's favor. These are people that I should not associate with. These are things that I should not say. These are ways that I should not act. And that's what we think about. No, that's not enough. Yes, it is true that we should not engaged in the same things that these people do. But David gives us direction in this psalm also what we should do. He said, Trust the Lord without wavering, verse 1, that he was going to be one that walked in God's faithfulness, verse 3. He was going to be uh, maintain blameless character, and upright worship of God, verse 6. All because God had done a transforming work in David's heart and life. See, we have to understand before we can do any of these things, God has to do a work in our hearts. Our hearts are stone, turned away because of sin. We will not follow him. But when he regenerates that heart, we will seek after God 
because God has sought us. And David has said, what should we do? We should trust in God for what he has done in the past. David had to be a great example of what God had done in a life past. Can you imagine as a young man standing before a giant so big that no army would go before him, but he trusted his God? Over and over again, David saw that God was trustworthy and would continue to be steadfast in his faith to God. He would walk in his faithfulness. The characteristics that God is that we see, David would continue to follow after. And we say to ourselves, you know, that might be great for people that actually had this word coming to them from God. But what does we have? We have God's word. He made a permanent record for us. It tells us of the uniqueness of the God that we serve, his nature and character. And the last one that I'm going to point out is in verse 6, and it talks about a washing. Much like Pastor Wallacher already has made mention of that we have seen of washings today. But David says, I wash my hands in innocence. And he goes and worships the one true God. See, our God was very specific when he was revealing himself to his people as to how to worship him. They must come before him and be clean. Not only ceremonially clean, but clean and pure in heart. The Pharisees would change that and make it all about show that they would be clean because of their outward acts It's never an outward act. It is that our heart is right before God. But David knew there was a sanctuary to be among believers, fellow followers of God, that would bring honor and praise to that one true God. When believers have God as Lord of their lives, they faithfully follow and the leading of a holy, faithful God. His way is our ways. We no longer, we want to please him, no longer ourselves. His faithfulness leads to our integrity, our faithfulness. But we remember one thing, we are sinners. As long as we are in this earth, we will fall short of the perfection of God himself but he is faithful to forgive and to restore his people. We, like David, can say, vindicate me, O Lord. Defend me, O Lord. Again, in the Old Testament, we see that it's a foreshadowing of the New Testament. David is an example of one that will come after him. And that one that came after him was was faithful, was perfect, even to the death, a death on the cross. And that individual was Jesus Christ himself, true God and true man. He came into this world born as a baby. He lived a sinless life. He faithfully and completely did the will of his father 
the will of his Father was to redeem a sinful mankind unto himself. And that would be done by by making an atonement for sin on the cross. Jesus Christ himself was the penalty for that sin, and he went willingly to the cross, paying the debt that we as individual sinners could never do. For those here today who through faith have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their lives, we give him praise and thanks for his his faithfulness and his grace. For those who do not trust in him that are here today, may God's great grace call you to himself. May you see your sin as an offense to God and separating you from him. And may he, he change your heart. May you come to him and believe he is a faithful God. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning again in prayer. And we are asking that you again refine us. That we draw ourselves, that we are drawn closer to you through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word. That we see again that true integrity is nothing of self, but is seeing you as the one that can be trusted, the perfect example. And that we continue to try in this life to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you, to do your will, to follow after you, to understand, Lord, that in the times that we fail, that you are merciful, that you are just, that sin has been accounted for at the cross. Lord, I pray for I pray for men, Lord, that as a group, as we have turned our back on you when you told us in the garden that we were not to eat of that fruit, that we did not trust you, that we let our integrity be questioned, that we would fall into sin Lord, I pray that we continue to seek after you because you have given us such a great role and responsibility in leading. I pray that we do it wisely, that we do it as men of integrity. I pray, Lord, that the integrity uh, that you call for from your people is in all those brothers and sisters who follow you. I pray again for those today, Lord, that you are still calling unto yourself, that they may be repentive, that they may see their sin and turn from it and know by faith alone, through Christ alone, that they can proclaim you as Lord and Savior. I I pray that you allow that work to continue on, and I know it will because you are a gracious and loving God. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.